Hey everyone, welcome to Reformed Podmatics, hosted by the pastors of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. It's Pastor Mark Van Dyke and Pastor Zach Dewey, and this podcast exists to promote the vibrant, biblical, and historically informed face of Reformed theology, both in our context and beyond. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Reformed Podmatics. I am Pastor Mark. And I am Pastor Zach. And we are glad to be joining you virtually today through uh, whatever program, uh, Podbean, iTunes, uh, (laughs) Spotify that you use. Um, Thank you for continuing to join us here on Reformed Podmatics. This has been a great project for us to be working on, not just for the sake of our podcast, kind of working through big issues, but uh, it's been been mm-hmm. a lot of fun, actually, to dig into all kinds of topics. And also, it's been great to hear from people who are listening to the podcast and have been blessed by some of the things that we've had to say. So thank you for listening. And yeah, for um, sure. today we are jumping into a topic that's a, a little bit different, um, could seem very theological on the surface, but I think that will mm-hmm. it will end up being a lot of practical theology. Yeah, I think so, for sure. This sort of is a part two, you could say, to one of the episodes we did very early on in this podcast on our heroes. So this is sort of our heroes of the non-reformed world. And in doing this, you will learn, uh, as we go, you will learn about different theologians, thinkers, authors, even bloggers that we really appreciate who aren't reformed, uh, but what's helpful is that you'll see, uh, I think, our our heart behind our ministry, but also our our approach to what it means to even be reformed at all, yeah. uh, or what it means to be any fill-in-the-blank tr- Christian tradition at all. Um, and so I hope that that is what you, you ca- or capture or see as we go through this episode. Yeah, so we'll be talking about authors, theologians, pastors— who we appreciate um, their ministry, and we appreciate a lot of what they have to say about the Bible, Christian history, um, Christian theology, mm-hmm. who aren't necessarily Reformed. And um, I guess to a lot of people, um, particularly those who come from a non-denominational context and are listening to something like this, it'd be like, well, who even cares about that anyways? Um, obvious, yeah. Well, from listening to the podcast, you can probably tell that we... Um, greatly value our Reformed theological heritage, and uh, the default resources that we look to generally are great Reformed theologians like John Calvin, um, mm-hmm. Herman Bovink, and uh, even thinking in terms of pastoral ministry, I really love Martin yeah. Lloyd-Jones and Charles Spurgeon, and Reformed uh, people who are openly yeah. Reformed, the Puritans come to mind uh, as another example. And um, and so we do value that, but we also want to say those aren't the only voices worth listening to. Yeah, this episode, we hope, helps you avoid what we could call theological snobbery, mm-hmm. um, which is something we see a lot in f- classical fundamentalism, mm-hmm. um, people wanting to uh, have an in-group versus all the out-groups, and so you want, really, really want to have a tight border around who's in, who is good to read, versus who is bad to read or bad to listen to. Um, and I think actually this is helpful for a lot of people, especially if you were to ever move or if you've ever experienced moving to a new place and you find that there's not a church that it, that you mm. perfectly fits everything you <laughs> believe. Yes. Um, and so maybe if you go somewhere you'll and you find that, okay, I'm a Reformed person, Maybe I'm from a particular denomination, such as the CRC or the OPC. But look, there's not a, a perfectly reformed uh, church in the area uh, that is within you know, a reasonable driving distance. Uh, and so what do I do? Uh, do I start my own home church in my, in my living room with just my family? Or now you could do Zoom church and yeah. virtual church. Or, and, yeah, you do know, I just find your favorite church? Uh, you know, really conservative reform guy and yeah. just listen to him. Yeah, exactly. You know, with this COVID world, maybe that's what mm. some people could do. And so I hope that this is helpful in helping you to see that 
you can grow from uh, Christians of other traditions that do not perfectly align with you in every way. And that that actually can be a very spiritually healthy thing. Uh, It can help you grow in ways that you would have perhaps never envisioned yourself growing or never even knew that you could grow. Uh, and so it's it's sort of like having that having more Christian diversity helps you to see what Christianity uh, can look like. Yeah. Um, I think it each, does look like yeah what it does look like <laughs> in the world around us. Yeah. And I I think this I think we I speak for both Mark and I when I say that there are blind spots to every Christian tradition. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so what we need is a sense of the breadth or the universality or dare I say it, the Catholicity of the Christian tradition so that we can understand what Christianity not only does look like in the world right now beyond our boundaries, whatever boundaries we have for ourselves, but also what it could look like and how it could be different. Mm -hmm. I think different camps of, of Christianity have strengths and weaknesses. And so by understanding your tradition's strengths, but and not just the strengths, but also the weaknesses, and then mm-hmm. what everybody else's strengths and weaknesses are, you can begin to see uh, sort of a a deeper, more holistic picture of what Christianity uh, is. And yeah. So that's one helpful thing. To use the body of Christ uh, text of 1 Corinthians 12, where um, that isn't just yeah. an, an individual thing, as if like we need other people who have different spiritual gifts than us in the body of Christ, which some people, they might read hmm. that verse and think, this is describing a church. And in a church, Christ is the head, yeah. And then we've got like a pastor and uh, a mm-hmm. bunch of people who serve coffee, and you know. <laughs> and, and so they think of it very individualistically, very micro. Um, yeah. I, I want to, hope, hopefully what comes from this podcast is that we can think of it on the hugest macro level, even thinking of hmm. denominations who are, contribute certain types of things to the body of Christ. For example, I think of our denomination historically contributing a lot intellectually to the mm-hmm. body of Christ. And, and philosophically. And philo- absolutely with philosophy, yeah. Mm-hmm. So the Christian Reformed Church, um, Calvin College's philosophy department from the 60s and 70s yeah. influenced Christian philosophy and still does to this day yeah. through uh, Alvin Plantinga, Nicholas Waltersdorf, uh, Richard Mao, Neil Plantinga, all of them yeah. coming through that philosophy department. Yeah. Um, they weren't all philosophy majors, but that would be sort of our little niche in mm-hmm. um, Christian, the Christian world. And meanwhile, you have other denominations who contribute a lot with music, hmm. um, mm-hmm. others who contribute with discipleship uh, yeah, models. Or evangelism. Evangelism, yeah. And that isn't to say, well, they do the music, we do the discipleship. Mm-hmm. Um, this one other one does the philosophy and the deep thinking. We're all called to love God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. Um, but we do recognize that um, different denominations, different approaches will lead to different kinds of blessings, mm-hmm. and, and that can be a really good thing. Um, I think that one one other overarching point that we want to make in this conversation is we want to break this false idea that all of history and all of theology can just be neatly divided between good people and bad people. Uh, There are the good guys and the bad guys. There are the right people and the wrong people. Mm -hmm. And it is absolutely true that there is good and evil, that there are those who are born again and those who are um, unregenerate. Mm -hmm. Um, However, this fundamentalistic attitude of, really thick lines between the good guys and the bad guys um, at times gets in the way of our enjoyment of the full body of Christ. Yeah. Um, And we see this a lot, not just with theology, but with culture, I Mm. think, that um, there are people in other cultures, we talked about this with church music, who do things differently, Mm -hmm. and the true born-again Christian should have the attitude in looking at that culture as this might be great if it's in line with the Bible. This could really teach me a lot about the gospel and teach me a lot about worship or theology or, or something, some yeah. other thing, instead of this sort of attitude of um, I'm right and I've got all my 18 reasons why and that's wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, even reading church history in that way is really helpful. I um, had a church history professor hmm. who um, 
he, he said, you know, we need to recognize that there were heresies in the history of the church. However, the same guy said, those people were trying to work things out. Yeah. Like they weren't trying to be bad guy. They weren't Darth Vader, you know, like <laughs> yeah. they were just like Amen. trying to ruin the world. And that is often how, honestly, before he said that, that's how I thought of heretics. Yeah. They're all Darth Vader who are coming in to try to take out <laughs> Luke Skywalker. And, and, yeah, and that just, was theologically what was happening in all these heresies. Yeah. Just this past Sunday, I was teaching on the Trinity with our adult, mm. adult Sunday school class. So, of course, teaching on the Trinity, you have to bring up uh, Arius yeah. um, and his his bad Christology. But was Arius trying to be bad? Was he trying to go around and preach falsehood? No, Arius was trying very much to do justice to the Bible's teaching about mm. the, the oneness of God. And so for Arius, the best way to do that was to deny the divinity of Christ and, of course, of the Spirit. Uh, and mm. so Arius wasn't going around trying to, <laughs> you know, I'm going to, I'm going to teach falsehood. I'm to going the to church. teach those Catholic, <laughs> you know, Catholic Christians. Yeah. yeah, right. He was going In around spite. trying to do his best, and the same is true for Pelagius. And we would say Pelagius was was quite terrible in his teaching, yeah. as yeah. we know now. But he was trying to do justice to the call for holiness uh, for every Christian. Uh, did he did he work it out correctly? We would say no, uh, but he was doing his best to try to explain that. Christians need to be living holy lives. Mm. Uh, and so we would have all sorts of problems with him, uh, yeah. especially in light of what Augustine uh, would say in response in their ongoing debates. But but yeah, it's a good point of there's there's not these these thick boundaries that can be drawn or even need to be drawn. Yeah. Uh, we, we need to be discerning. It's all too easy if, if we have a certain sort of in-group and those are the guys we need to listen to. And I see this a lot in part of the reformed world. Yeah. Uh, as, as long as they're teaching at the big, the big famous conservative reformed conferences, then they're the, they're the good authors that we want to read and really reading anything out beyond that boundary is, you know, it's pretty, yeah, it's pretty bad. It's like the lion King. All that the sun touches is our kingdom. Anything <laughs> beyond is, is bad. Don't go there. Yeah. Uh, and that's sort of the, the view what that does then for, especially for lay people who think like that, it does a lot of the heavy theological lifting for them. They don't have to really actually uh, think for themselves as long as they agree with what the, the smart persons say, mm-hmm. as long as they agree with what the, the, the people we've given a thumbs up to, as long as you agree with the big names, that's okay. You don't, you don't have to, to press yourselves. Uh, it's basically implicit faith. It's sort of what uh, medieval Roman Catholicism may have looked like in some some parts where you just sort of agree with whatever the priest or the bishop says, you go with it. Mm. You don't have to really think for yourself as long as you just agree with what they think. Uh, and that's not what Christian maturity looks like. And so we have to, to think differently. We have to, we have to uh, think outside the box. We have mm. to read people mm-hmm. uh, who are going to push us and it can cause us to reconsider or reexamine our own uh, presuppositions or beliefs. And so that's part of the spirit that we're doing this in. And finally, one of the last prolegomena mm-hmm. things we could say, and it's all wrapped up in this, is that ecumenism matters. Mm-hmm. Um, often people will want to uh, just say, well, it's all about doctrine. Doctrine matters. And so if you don't agree with our doctrine, then, then you're sort of off the reservation. Mm-hmm. Um, I love, really love this quote that has always stood out in my mind from uh, Robert Lethem. He's a Orthodox Presbyterian minister. He's from England. He's taught at Westminster, Philadelphia. So he sort of has all the reformed credentials, you could Mm. say. And in his book on Eastern Orthodoxy, in the last chapter, he gives this little pithy reminder. He says, doctrine matters, and so does the visible unity of the church. That, too, is doctrine. And so this stems, I think, uh, from John 17. Jesus prays for the unity of the church. I think what this means is that the church will not in all in all times in all places be unified perfectly or in an organizational sense yeah in an organizational especially visible sense and and we see that now especially post-reformation and really post awakenings (laughs) there's lots of Hmm. denominations and groups of christians and so should we be okay with that what should we do with that i think at the very least, we can say that unit. The more unity we have, the better. Even when it's visible unity, Jesus says that people, the world will know 
whose we are because of our unity together. And I, mm-hmm. I think that our division then is to our shame. Um, that's at least a sort of lowest common denominator thing that we could say. And so as we are going through all these non-reformed theologians, we can also keep in mind First uh, Thessalonians five nineteen through 22, where Paul says, do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Mm-hmm. So testing everything and holding fast to what is good. It's in that spirit that we offer uh, this episode about our favorite non-reformed theologians. Yeah. So Mark, hmm. who is your first <laughs> favorite one. non-reformed theologian? Well, the first one that came to mind is a Catholic bishop that I enjoy. His YouTube channel, um, his name is Bishop Robert Barron. Awesome. And uh, he is the bishop of Los Angeles and Santa Barbara, so that area in southwestern California. Um, and he, his YouTube channel is really full of um, uh, 10, 12-minute videos on all kinds of different topics. He'll talk about political things. He'll talk about a, a movie. You know, um, He gives a really interesting response to when The Shape of Water won Best Picture. Mm. I think, was that the name of it? The Shape yeah, of Water? Yeah. yeah. And how that represents so much in our culture. Um, really, really insightful mm-hmm. um, commentary that he gave on that film. I haven't seen the film, but... Um, even just the title uh, shows that we're living in a time of deconstruction. Of yeah. Just there's no shape to anything anymore. Yeah. And so he's he's good at um, addressing those issues, but not from like this militaristic culture warrior mm-hmm. attitude mm-hmm. that we often see, honestly, in our reformed context quite a yeah. bit. Um, but maybe even more so in the uh, like a Southern Baptist attitude of, I think of mm-hmm. like a Jerry Falwell Jr. or a Franklin Graham um, mm-hmm. as people who really in a lot of ways represent that militaristic, we're going to win, we're going to get our political candidates to the top, and that's going to mm-hmm. be what America needs. Um, yeah. There could be some truth to that, but uh, it, Robert Barron is a nice departure, I would say, mm-hmm. in the YouTube world from that... Uh, inflammatory rhetoric um, he mm-hmm. recently had a great debate on um, the unbelievable podcast which also has a, U- a YouTube channel mm-hmm. with Justin Brierley um, with an atheist and I was reading through the comments on Bishop Barron's presentation and just about all the comments were wow that was a wonderful debate a lot of the atheists were saying I, I could really see some benefit to this Christian thing if there's guys like this mm-hmm. who are presenting um, Christ, presenting theology in this way. So yeah. I would say that's a win for the kingdom for sure. Um, mm-hmm. And and so there are things that he has put up on his YouTube channel that I disagree with. He has something very much in favor of relics. Mm-hmm. And um, obviously anything concerning Mary is going to be very problematic that, uh, that he teaches. But overall, he elevates Christ. He loves the church. He, he loves God's Word. I mean, the name of his YouTube channel is Word on Fire. Mm-hmm. And um, and he, he loves bringing out the scriptures to teach in really applicable ways. So I spent a lot of time on that one, but he was the first one who jumped to my mind when thinking about this topic. Yeah, yeah. How about you? So many good Catholics, I think. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. Through I'd, first things in a lot of ways. Yeah, so too, I that, could yeah. just say first things in general as a magazine that I really appreciate or... A blog or is our our Reno? Podcast. I think he's Catholic. Yeah, our, yeah, Rusty Reno is Catholic. I think he actually used to be a conservative Episcopalian, and mm-hmm. then he converted. Um, but let's see. So one that came to mind for me right off the top of my head is Thomas Oden. He is a um, now deceased Methodist theologian of the 20th century, and even really into the early part of the 21st century, I believe. Um, so. I know a little bit about his life. I've never read his biography or autobiography uh, where he reflects a little bit on his journey to Orthodox Christianity, Orthodox with a lowercase o. Um, so he had been, he was he was born and raised, as far as I know, in the Methodist Church. Um, United Methodist Church was a part of the more liberal wing of it. Hmm. Um, and 
throughout his studies, he was beginning to become a little bit well-known and was he had become a professor or something like that. And he encountered a Jewish rabbi, another scholar, who basically said to him one day, you critique your Christian tradition without knowing your Christian tradition. Why don't you go back and read the church fathers? Hmm. And so in so doing, he realized that it was sort of conservative, orthodox, historic Christianity that actually made the most sense. And so uh, throughout his life, he coined a sort of theological term called paleo-orthodoxy, where he tried to resurrect what we could call the great tradition, um, as I've often heard it. So in his systematic theology, which is a three-volume systematic theology, um, it's what he does is tries to represent the best of the Christian tradition in a very ecumenical, uh, orthodox, conservative uh, way, even evangelical way. He he remained an evangelical, uh, but he he is often quoting from John Wesley. I mean, he's a Methodist, so of course you would expect that. But then he'll mm-hmm. j- quote from Calvin. He'll throw in quotes from. Uh, from Bernard of Clairvaux and from the Church Fathers, and then he'll he'll reference uh, statements of faith from different traditions, different denominations. Uh, he would rep- he would say he would reference newer statements of faith, and constantly he's referring to uh, different things that Christian traditions have said, and so he's sort of integrating these into his theology in a way that I think is really profound uh, and. I really have always appreciated it. I can I can always know if I want to know what did what does the Christian tradition say on a given subject uh, beyond out my own reformed mm-hmm. camp. Mm-hmm. I can turn to his systematic theology and find really good answers uh, to what church fathers have said and what reformers have said, medieval theologians have said, and so on. So I, I've always really liked Tom Oden quite a bit. Nice. Um, maybe we'll spend, we'll each pick one more off our list here and spend a little bit more time on each one and then we'll do a bit of a lightning round after that. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Um, and so I'd say the other one that stands off on my list would be Martin Luther. Um, mm. And if you read Reformed Dogmatics, <laughs> I almost said Reformed Podmatics, but that's us. If you read Reformed Dogmatics by Bovink, <laughs> Um, he really does a lot of contrasting between the Reformed mm-hmm. view, the Catholic view, and the Lutheran view. Mm-hmm. And um, I would say he's he's often quite critical of the Lutheran view, um, although he, he will mention ways that it, it does intersect with Reformed teaching. Um, but certainly as Reformed people, we must admire Martin Luther. Um, oh, yeah. He courageously studied the scripture, stood for the gospel. And um, one thing I like that's maybe a little bit more precise about Martin Luther is he he has a lot of this knack for pithy sayings, little oh, yeah. uh, little one or two sentence uh, <laughs> blurbs. He would have really, Twitter and Martin Luther would have been a very interesting combination, both for his fieriness and yeah. his uh, his uh, ability to capture a big idea often with just a few words. Yeah, I think his, the reason for his theology exploding in the in the 16th mm. century is more than just because of its theological accuracy mm. uh, or its depth, but also he he sort of knew what he was doing in popularizing. Uh, yeah, it, and he has a sticky way of putting things. Is maybe yeah. that's a way of putting it too. For sure. Um, and so. Uh, you know, like uh, something is, and it's not always uh, really wordsmithy either. I appreciate that about Martin Luther's very straight and to the point. Um, mm-hmm. You know, something as simple as I thank God for my baptism every day, right? Mm-hmm. So just a little thing that I remember yeah. about Martin Luther, and he prays and thanks God that he is baptized every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he's the one who's accredited with the saying, um, "I'm so busy that you know I I need to pray." three hours today instead of just one, right? Hmm. Um, that, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know the exact quote there, but he, he's got a, a nice knack, I would say, for hmm. um, good good little Christ-centered, word-centered um, uh, snippets. Hmm. And uh, obviously, this is a little bit of a sliding scale here where some of these 
authors like Thomas Oden that um, Zach just referenced are going to be very safe, very um, uh, read anything, and you'll find that it's mm-hmm. it's all very nourishing and very helpful. Meanwhile, Martin Luther obviously also has quite a dark side to him, um, particularly mm-hmm. in his anti-Semitism. And so yep. uh, what I appreciate is his, his courage, his uh, gospel-centeredness, his uh, desire to make God's word known, even through translating the Bible, um, and um, putting hmm. hymns back in churches that people can sing in their own language that will also exalt Christ. Um, a lot of those things are foundational things um, but of course, we hold on to the teaching of the Second Thessalonians five as or First Thessalonians five as well that Zach read earlier. Um, we don't despise what Martin Luther has given to us, but we um, we hold fast to what is good from it. And we abstain from maybe that which he said that is wrong. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. Martin Luther often is somebody that I've heard reformed people even sort of think of as being reformed. He was not. Mm. Um, but nevertheless, he is very important. And in lots of ways, from what I can tell from studying about Martin Luther, held to a sort of Calvinistic soteriology that was sort of then uh, reframed by Philip Melanchthon, his mm-hmm, successor mm-hmm. In, in the reformed movement or the Lutheran movement. Um, yeah, Melanchthon systematized a lot of Lutheran yeah. ideas, we would say. So he sort of, <laughs> you could sort of think of Luther as the reformer who sort of smashes things to bits, <laughs> and Melanchthon comes along the generation following. Um, they knew each other quite well. They, Melanchthon was kind of Luther's right-hand man, but he was mm. quite a bit younger, and he kind of picked things up and sort of harmonized things mm-hmm. uh, but from what I've heard in Luther's soteriology he sort of has a strong doctrine of predestination mm-hmm. um, that was in some ways akin to Calvin's um, nevertheless he would have differed from Calvin on various points particularly the sacraments mm-hmm. being the big one um, from not just Calvin but for also from Zwingli and the other reformed thinkers uh, so for me man I could think of a lot of when I was when I was thinking about which non-reformed theologians do I love the most, a lot of sort of quasi-reformed theologians came to mind, and a lot of them had to mm-hmm. were were Ang- Anglican, um, so like, like Gerald Bray or John Stott. Uh, the, the, some people would question their reformed credentials. Alistair McGrath could be another yeah, one. J.I. Packer. J.I. Packer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I I would say all those guys are reformed, so I've left them yeah. off the list. Um, but another guy that I've found within the last couple of years, he's he's a Lutheran. Uh, his name is Jordan Cooper. So Jordan Cooper is a blogger, YouTuber, uh, author, pastor even, or at least he was. I think he now works for his denomination and is not a pastor of a church. And he's a younger guy. He's probably about, I would say, younger 30s, mm. um, early 30s. And he's very well studied. I think he grew up in the RPCNA, so the Reformed Presbyterian Church, very conservative Reformed Church. And now he's a Lutheran, I believe, that is uh, Missouri Synod. Mm. Uh, But he's really thoughtful. He has a lot of videos that are often about an hour long in length, responding to lots of theological questions and cultural things, but mainly theological. Uh, One of his, I think, uh, aims in his work is to present the intellectual face of Lutheranism to the, the broader Christian world. Mm. And so he does a lot of work which, with R- Lutheran and Reformed dialogue, given that he grew up in the Reformed world. Mm. So he has a lot of strong critiques of Reformed theology that I think are interesting. Obviously, I don't agree with him, but <laughs> I find them helpful to think through. Uh, but he also is in, in dialogue with a lot of Roman Catholic mm. apologists, and so he does a lot of work arguing for the, you could say, the Protestantism of the early church fathers, even though that may sound like an oxymoron to some people. Uh, I find his work really interesting uh, and really, really helpful from a Protestant perspective. So he's another guy that comes to mind for sure. But okay, let's do the yeah. lightning round thing. <laughs> we can just sort of list off a few others. Sure. Um, and if you don't know them, 
Sorry, if you do, you'll sort of get a little bit more of where Mark and I are coming from. I yeah. Think. Well, you had one that I was going to add, Rod Dreher. Yeah, Rod Dreher. Who Dreher. is um, Orthodox, and mm-hmm. we're working through the Benedict Option right now at church in a um, in a small group study, mm-hmm. and I've, I've appreciated a lot of what he has to say. I'd say that Dreher definitely leans more uh, towards... It, we're just... In, in the initial stages of Benedict Doctrine, but it, it's pretty pessimistic, I would say. Mm-hmm. And in his blog, The American Conservative, um, I would say at times definitely leans pessimistic towards America as yeah. well. So he has a lot of amazing insight about how we should respond to our post-Christian context. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, and I've, I've found him very helpful. Uh, along with that... Um, maybe similar to Jordan Cooper, there's, there's a uh, vlogger named Mike Winger. He's a pastor of a church. Um, I believe he's an associate there. And it's kind of cool, actually, how his I've seen his ministry grow. Um, mm-hmm. Typically, Mike Winger's videos are going to have 400,000, 500,000 views. Yeah. Um, really it's popular. Pretty huge channel. Where he just answers questions that people have. Um, I heard he was just sort of dissecting some something that a guy had said about how Jesus was racist and had to repent of his racism to the Syrophoenician woman. Oh man! And um, and so it was like a really, it was a false teaching, and Mike Winger just really helpfully brought it out. Uh, like this mm-hmm. is such a flagrant false teaching that yeah. that this is uh, you know it's abhorrent what he's saying that Christ sinned and. Um, it's it, it's all based on a total misunderstanding of the actual text and so forth. Yeah, I've so, heard that before as well. So yeah, Mike Winger does a good job. Now, Mike Winger does not like Calvinism. He has actually mm-hmm. quite a few videos on why he disagrees with Calvinism. Yeah. Um, well, he's he's Calvary Chapel, right? I, 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 I think sure. I've heard that. I yeah. could be wrong. But yeah, I mostly just watch him, and that's part of the reason I appreciate him is he's so biblical. He's not like there to push a denominational yeah. Yeah. um angle as much as he is just to get people into the bible so yeah he's not like us at reformed podmatics where <laughs> yeah right <laughs> we wear it on our sleeve we have an, an, an agenda <laughs> yeah to make people love reformed theology which is true because it's so good but um uh i appreciate him a lot he also captures that tone of robert Barron where um he's ironic he is um humble and uh but also he stands very strongly on god's word so the last one that i would probably list would be dietrich bonhoeffer um, particularly his book Life Together, um, mm. which is not one of his most popular works. I would say The Cost of Discipleship would be his most popular. Um, but Life Together is a 120-page uh, book about community, living in community. Mm. And so it's the best thing I've ever read on Christian community of like what that actually looks like, mm. how we actually spend our day, how we spend time alone, and how that contributes or detracts from our experience in community. It's just totally loaded with uh, scripture references, great teaching. Mm-hmm. You could read this book 10 times and get something new from it every time. So Bonhoeffer, I definitely love as well. Yeah. Um, so Bonhoeffer would have been Lutheran. And as far as I know, mm-hmm. Bonhoeffer had sort of neo-Orthodox leanings. He was sort of affiliated with Bart's teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, I could be wrong on that, but uh he would be like a proto-evangelical in a lot of ways. Yeah, I think you're right. I think a lot of evangelicals today, like people love yeah. Bonhoeffer. Um, he's well respected. Although I want to say I've heard things, so I've, I don't know for sure, but I've heard that there would be certain theological positions that he would be deviating from the sort of broader evangelical movement mm, on. Mm-hmm. Um, so another. For me, for my my lightning rounds, I've already said C.S. Lewis in my Heroes episode, and he's not Reformed, so I I can't really count him. Uh, But another one that comes to mind is G.K. Chesterton, a Roman Catholic, um, which I forgot to put on my list here in front of (laughs) me, but he's he's really awesome. Orthodoxy is such an amazing book uh, that will really make your head spin. Mm. Um, I can remember reading that back in college and just being very captured and I don't know, mesmerized. Even at, laughing at different points. Yeah, it's very. It's it has, it's still a book that makes me. I, I think of it often. Um, hmm. uh, so others, Esther O'Reilly. 
I don't think that she's reformed in her theology. She, Esther O'Reilly is an author, blogger, not really a podcaster, but she writes a lot. Um, she writes for North American Anglican. That's one of her places. She also writes on Pathios. Um, it's a pseudonym. I, nobody really knows her, her actual name. Um, but she writes a lot of really thoughtful things about church history, about Mm. philosophy, even Jordan Peterson sort of stuff. Uh, so she's, she's really interesting to listen to. Uh, and then I also, yeah, just like to read the church fathers. I'm Mm -hmm. always interested to see what, what they would say on anything. If I can find anything on them, um, a really good book is called early Christian doctrines by J N D Kelly. Uh, uh, that's a book that I like to go to often. It's not necessarily a uh, a primary source. It's a secondary source, but it's helpful f- to find uh, what the church fathers would say on any given uh, subject. And you've got um, these great commentary series, the yeah. Ancient Christian Commentary on Scripture. Yeah, so those are awesome. That's a great commentary series where Origen's thoughts or Tertullian's yeah. thoughts or um, Augustine or Athanasius's thoughts on... Uh, baptism and yeah. or on this parable and sometimes um, there's even heretics in them so you'll find what pelagius would say yeah, on certain things super and that's helpful really really cool it's the kind of commentary that could only come about where we have the sort of academic world that we do now in yeah. the 20th and 21st century uh it's really amazing so there's an ancient christian commentary on scripture which for every book of the, book of the bible has commentary from all of the from not all but a lot of the church fathers mm-hmm. And then there's also the Reformation commentary on Scripture, which does the same thing with Protestant and Catholic uh, scholars from the Reformation period writing commentaries on the Bible. So if you ever want to know what certain church fathers or Reformation theologians say about a different passage, that's a a great place to look. Uh, So finally, now that we've gotten sort of our some of our favorite non-Reformed theologians out of the way, Mm -hmm. we could... Now, I think, ask the question, what are the criteria that go into our decisions for who we find to be extremely helpful that isn't in our Reformed context? And then maybe what what would be some of the criteria for us saying, actually, that person is, is uh, a theological danger mm-hmm. uh, to the church? Yeah. Uh, so, so how do you think through that question? What, what is something that uh, helps you? discern that well it is a huge question because just as we were preparing for the podcast we were talking about how there are many ministers who maybe even on paper might look pretty good but we wouldn't listen to and meanwhile we've list i've listed a roman catholic uh uh, bishop and um other martin luther you know with all his foibles and his issues um why would we value those and reject somebody like Stephen Furtick or Andy Stanley, um, hmm. or like um, there, there's a lot of those uh, mm-hmm. pastors out there um, who I would say no, it would be better not to listen mm-hmm. um, to their work. Uh, maybe again, that's a sliding scale too. So I would say generally Andy Stanley is going to be probably okay, but mm-hmm. there's going to be a few things he said recently that are hugely problematic. Stephen Furtick. Even less so, I would say, that he would be edifying to the listener. Um, so that leads to, to me, the biggest criteria, which is Christ-centeredness. Yeah. Um, does the person exalt Christ? Um, this is going to rule out right away the prosperity gospel and the social gospel peddlers. Um, because they're not exalting Christ in his... Uh, in all his glory and his work of atonement, uh, Jesus says, as he's going to the cross, now has the time for the Son of Man to be glorified. So hmm. he's most glorified in his death and resurrection. And um, yeah. prosperity gospel is not interested in the, resu- the resurrection of Christ. Uh, social gospel is really not interested in the bodily resurrection of Christ and all the theological outworkings of that. Um, might be interested in the resurrection so far as it teaches a kind of liberation theology mm-hmm. but um each of the authors that we listed love christ they love to know him they love to share about him they uh they point people regularly to the finished work that christ has done in our salvation yeah um and so i, I think that's that that's good. the number one little test that one would 
would apply and and to really apply it very acutely i would say hmm. somebody like stephen furtick really fails to do this in the sermons hmm. that i've heard from him christ is a motivator mm-hmm. um christ lived a certain way that is very inspirational and um if you're like jesus then nothing can keep you down hmm. like sort of a thing it's kind of a motivational yeah pseudo christianity um and on paper it would look good maybe they sing in christ alone at that church and that can maybe mm-hmm. redeem the worship service every and once you look in a at while their doctrinal statement i'm sure there wouldn't be very much that yeah would it w- disagree with right the, maybe the baptism issue their they, views of god's word on paper are going to be very yeah, similar to what ours would be it's inerrant it's sufficient and, yep. and so on it's infallible right and so but what comes out of that worship service is how great stephen furtick is how cool his clothes is and how how inspirational the music is and mm-hmm. aren't we aren't we jazzed aren't we pumped up now mm-hmm. to go and live our best life you know sort to throw an Osteenism into it um <laughs> but uh i would say that would make all that a problem to mm-hmm. me um so what's another criteria yeah it's interesting how yours and mine they will sound very different perhaps mm. to the hearer but I see a lot of overlap with them. Uh, so mine, the first one that came to mind for me was Catholicity, or you could say orthodoxy. Uh, do they uphold and love the truths of the creed? So I, I think that somebody like like Stephen Furtick, to you, keep using him as our example, his church probably, I've never been to Elevation Church's website um, to look up their doctrinal statement, but if they have one, it would probably uphold the truths of the creed but do they love the truths of the creed? Hmm. Uh, sometimes people love them on paper, but do not love them in, in their teaching and their way of life. And this has to do with who God is, who Jesus is, yeah. who what the church is about, what Christianity is about, the forgiveness of sins, right? These sorts of things. Mm-hmm. So for me, this is a huge factor in my thinking about who I pre- appreciate theologically and who I tend to see as sort of outside uh, my my camp and part of this is because I and I often tell people this I self-identify you could say or I think of myself as a Christian first and foremost then as a Catholic and Orthodox Christian if I was to d- distinguish against a sort of a heterodox or even mm-hmm. liberal Christian um, and then I think of myself as a Protestant and then I finally think of myself as reformed so I'm and in that order is really important to me. It's in that order in particular that I that I think through this issue. And so I think the first two are the most fundamental. Uh, if you're a Christian, you are a follower of Christ. Christ is your Lord, your God, your Savior. And so you submit to him in all things, and you want to see him exalted. That's sort of how I think it connects to, mm-hmm. to Mark's answer. Um, and you, so you're, you take his word seriously. His word is his voice to you. And so the Bible becomes really serious. And that's actually another thing that I'll get at below. And then next I, I identify as a Catholic or Orthodox Christian. I see myself as being very deeply rooted in the, the broader Christian tradition that goes back to the apostles. Um, I don't just look at John Calvin and sort of think that, Oh, my church history starts there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think back far beyond Calvin um, and that informs a lot of how I think. And those two are very, very fundamental to to who I understand myself to be. And then thirdly, I'm a Protestant, and f- fourth, I'm Reformed, as I said. So I think the first two are very important, and mm-hmm. if we share those in that same order, then the third and fourth become a little bit uh, less important to me. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really interested in hearing what you have to say, especially if you disagree with me on number three and number four, mm-hmm. uh, if we can agree on the first two. Mm-hmm. So if we, I, I, that's sort of my, my concentric circles, you could say, of uh, for me, how I understand the broader Christian family. So if you're a Christian and you're h- historic Christian in the Catholic lowercase c faith, but you disagree with me on Protestantism, well, then I think we have a lot of common ground that we can we can bicker about things. Or if maybe mm-hmm. you're a Protestant like me, but you disagree on what, what branch of Protestantism, then we have so much we agree on, and it makes it all the more interesting then to, yeah. to disagree and to dialogue about our differences. And so that is sort of how I think about it. One of the issues, I think, um, 
is that most modern evangelicalism, like a Furtick, again, I don't want to, you know, kill, beat a dead horse or anything, but mm-hmm. um, they probably won't take one and two quite as seriously. Yeah. Um, and they would almost focus on where they are farther down the line. So I'm sure Furtick would say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian and I, I have the creeds and I listen to those and I'm Protestant and I'm evangelical. Um, and then he might even not say it, but he would probably sort of wind up in a sort of non-denominational hip Christianity camp, pragmatic yeah. Christianity. Yeah. But that, that final part of his Christian identity would become very important. Seeker sensitive. It would sort of displace the other parts of the order for me. And so that's where I would have a lot of disagreement um, (laughs) with him. And so sometimes I've I've even felt myself, sort of as you were saying, Mark, I've been in broadly evangelical conferences or places. I can think about uh, a youth ministry convention I went to several years ago that was very broadly evangelical. And I thought to myself that whole time, I would feel more comfortable, I think, at a Roman Catholic conference than I would mm. here. Mm. Um, even though these people are also, you know, self-confessed Protestants, probably. Uh, they may not really know what that was, but mm. I sort because I share those first two, being being a Christian and being a Orthodox Christian, um, that has made me feel a little bit... Uh, different from broader evangelicalism i I think uh, this this is controversial to say but i think the reformed tradition is closer to the the roman catholic tradition than it is to a stephen furtick or joel osteen sort of Mm. sort of thing maybe that's controversial but well i'd be willing to stand behind and i well I, i like the criteria a lot because um it actually will then start to exclude some quote-unquote reformed voices. Hmm. So mm-hmm. this isn't just about being reformed and staying in our camp, but um, if a self-described reformed person, a pastor, an author, a seminary professor, um, pretty much obsesses about his or her um, heritage, identity, uh, mm-hmm. reformness, um, and and almost the whole goal of ministry is to draw up these thick lines about around themselves. Yeah. That's a very to me. I don't I don't really care to hear what that person has to say. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, mm-hmm. there's somebody outside of our reformed camp who is Christ centered, yeah. um, Catholic minded. Um, whether they would call it that or not, I'm sure. not sure. But yeah. Um, but certainly a desire for community like i experienced this a lot in our local ministerial association yeah that's a good example or in my prison ministry it's like you just get together with people and yes i am going to recognize over two or three years with these other pastors that we see things pretty differently on something like communion or mm-hmm. um women in ministry things like that yeah um but we're doing ministry together and we're sharing the gospel um, in our contexts and that that Christ-centeredness and that sort of desire to draw people into the church um, hmm. as it as the church should be, you know, with um, gospel preaching and celebration of the sacraments and so forth, mm-hmm. um, that matters more mm-hmm. than, than our, our niche. And yeah. so I, I think uh, not only does that draw people outside the Reformed context into our line of sight— but it is also going to start to exclude some who are in the Reformed camp hmm. um, sort of outside of our line of sight, I think, as it should. Hmm. Um, the, the Catholicity, the ecumenism, the desire to, to grow in, not just in right theology, but in love. That's what my sermon was about this past Sunday. Yeah. So um, to love our neighbor, to be unified. Um, there are a lot of those Reformed folks that I listen to who are, True, not truly driven by love, and it comes through as they uh, as they yell at all kinds of heretics. Yeah, uh, for, true Christianity is not just having true doctrine. It's yeah. also, I think, an ethos or an ethic. Yep. Um, that that follows that a it, mood and attitude towards yeah, it, yeah. and that's hugely important. That can also be a reason why 
we would uh, consider ourselves sort of very different from the pragmatic, non-denominational, megachurch sort of world, or even also yeah. from the liberal, progressive, Christian or from the very world. conservative as well. Yeah, or yeah. or from the very conservative right. So yeah, we, yeah, that's kind of where we, <laughs> you know, in a lot of ways, uh, as a church, uh, to get to put sort of a fine point on it. And even if you're not a part of our church, I would guess you know churches like ours. It's like we're in the middle of all these things. Mm-hmm. Um, that we're not super pragmatic and just obsessed about getting new members. Um, although it's great when that happens, yeah. we're certainly not liberal mm-hmm. and I wouldn't consider our congregation to be like a fundamentalist congregation mm-hmm. where, um, there's, right. we have everything figured out, yeah. you know, and, uh, we don't and, take a hard, uh, yeah. anti-cultural stance. We're not, we're right. not trying to fight the culture wars. Although if you listen back to the catalog of our episodes, you'll, sort of hear where Mark and I stand on things. Right. Um, and so the reason for that is not just because we're squishy. Yeah. I think that that could be That's the perception. That's how it can be perceived. Yeah. yeah. But I hope the reason for that is love. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is a desire for unity. With, yeah. We have Democrats in our church. Yeah. And, and the reason that I hope that they remain is not just that they hear doctrine that is helpful to them, but mm-hmm. that they experience love here and we care about them. Yeah. Um, and, and that's just a tiny example, but I think that it does get to how we discern some of these voices. So uh, maybe another, a couple other quick uh, criteria is a very clear love for God's word. Mm. And um, we've talked about this in a previous podcast on biblical authority of really yeah. giving the Bible practical authority in our lives. Um, I would guess that this isn't something that we need to get into all that much detail because the spirit is at work in mm-hmm. all of our listeners' lives uh, to some extent, certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're born again, is even has even given us the mind of Christ himself. And you'll be able to tell when God's word matters at a church. You'll be able to mm-hmm. tell when God's word matters to a YouTube pastor, vlogger guy. Mm-hmm. Um, you just know, like uh, you could watch um, five minutes of a Joel Osteen sermon and you could tell God's mm-hmm. word does not matter to mm-hmm. this man. Um, you, you could, you could watch it and it, it could be a little deceiving sometimes where, um, you know, yeah. to use Furtick, Furtick really represents a lot. And so that's why we sort of, we use him as an example, but he's not the Antichrist. He, no, he's not, <laughs> but he definitely represents the modern mega church dressed to the nines, super cool, Mm -hmm. very high energy, Mm -hmm. very motivational pastor, right? Mm So when we talk about him, we're talking about a a trend right Mm -hmm. now as well. Mm -hmm. And I would say um, it would seem as though God's word matters, um, but what really matters is the energy that one would get from Mm -hmm. this message and the look of it uh, and so forth. I mean, lots has come out from his church Mm-hmm. Um, from people who have left his church, I, I heard um, uh, Apologia Radio did did something um, mm-hmm. with with some former members of Elevation Church, where it was like, "Do you know what matters at that church? Wearing cool clothes." Mm-hmm. And it's very evident; like it, you could just watch it and and be able to tell. He's been on Preachers and Sneakers, I think, is oh, yeah. the, the uh, Instagram like, account. Um, he's the OG bad boy from that Instagram <laughs> account. Him. So, and- is it Carl Lentz or yeah? He would be yeah. one of the other ones, and Paula, uh, Paula White is that her name? Yeah, um, probably. But uh, anyways, uh, it's just those um, external things are yeah. very, very clearly matter more than uh, contending for the faith. Yeah, and again, it's not just about if they say they love the word. It's yeah. easy to say it. Yeah, uh, but does it inform the life of the church? Does it inform how people? have conversations with one another uh, or with you could, I could I think about it as like for the council of a church or the or the church board if that's what you have yeah uh, is, is the word of God considered seriously at that or is it all just pragmatism um, and then another final criteria for me is do they love the church hmm. I think a lot of Christians today have such a deeply held anger towards the church or antipathy towards the church that it sounds as if a lot of what they're saying 
comes merely from a, pra- a place of of bitterness mm. um, and not from a place of hope to see the church grow, to see the church sanctified, and to see the church glorifying Christ. Uh, and so that would be would be one more thing. Um, but yeah, and th- not just th- an an important distinction there is a lot of people love their church, and yeah. so this would be. I would say the megachurch issue. It's like you'll hear all the time about how we're rocking ministry here, ministry's mm-hmm. a blast, and mm-hmm. and this church has it all. Mm-hmm. And um, at, it's probably almost a direct correlation between those churches and a church where you will never hear any any um, value on Catholicity. Mm-hmm. Um, a very low view often of the sacraments for that yeah. reason, I would guess is if, yeah. it doesn't, doesn't matter if we really commune with even one another um, as much as just being at the cool church that seems to have it all. Yep. Um, I would say um, the love for the church with a capital C, yep. not just for the local congregation. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Does your church ever pray for another church? That oh, could man. be a question Huge. That, that you ask. Or and pray so. for the people in the church. Yeah. Right. Or, or yeah, pray for somebody outside the church who's mm-hmm. struggling. Like, um, we had another pastor in the CRC whose son had cancer, and we we wrestled in prayer for that mm-hmm. pastor. Um, there's things that happen in the broader world. Uh, you know, these kidnappings of these Nigerian girls, and mm-hmm. that should hurt us because, mm-hmm. um, they're brothers and sisters in Christ. That you don't see as much of that. I I think um, among Hmm. dangerous teachers who are really more yeah. self-focused that also means we should we should take we should concern ourselves with what's going on in other mm-hmm. other camps of the church other traditions other denominations it's really easy for us to now to sort of point and laugh when a minister is defrocked from a different denomination yeah. we tend to not like or I hear often evangelicals say things about Catholics about oh like Catholics you know their priests are just so sexually twisted and mm. all they do is uh, is pedophilia and stuff like that and to, we should take ownership mm. of the there rest of the Christian sisters, church yeah. Yeah. saying uh, we're sort of on the same team here in some ways even if we really don't like them uh, maybe maybe you're a, a Protestant with a really strong anger towards the, the Roman Catholic Church and I, I, I get that uh, but if there's a failing there it's sort of in our day and age whether we like it or not uh, it affects us as well and that's just a pragmatic thing we could also say that yeah. this is the body of Christ yeah beyond the pragmatic <laughs> yeah it's they're they're our family we should be con- yeah. we should be concerned about the stains uh, that are, that the church has and mm. we should all be wanting to to take a part in and seeing seeing her improved, um, I mean, ultimately that's Christ's job. That's what He has done. But we should we should feel that sort of responsibility for other churches. I'm talking local churches and other denominations, and so on. So, yeah. Anyways, with all of this, we hope that you have learned that we have succeeded in in showing <laughs> uh, our appreciation and our love for our brothers and sisters outside of our denomination outside of our own reformed tradition and that we've helped you to consider asking what might I be able to learn from someone who uh, understands their Christian faith much differently than I do mm-hmm. uh, and we, we hope that this has been encouraging to you uh, especially those of you who may not be reformed yeah yeah <laughs> maybe you could see our appreciation for you as well and maybe there's that reciprocated hopefully where those outside the reform context can uh, yeah. also look to people like John Calvin, Herman Bovink, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and be blessed by that. We are the body of Christ. That is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, just one little closing word would be that I, these other voices give me different vocabulary. Mm-hmm. So when I listen to Bishop Barron and his Catholic perspective, and he talks about the beatific vision and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and and how much the incarnation matters, and that's good for me. That's that's yeah. the Spirit um, yeah. prophesying through this man to me about yeah. what um, it means to be a Christian. And he's and helping you understand the scriptures too. Absolutely, that's at least the hope. Yeah, and so uh, to learn that different vocabulary uh, and expand your your view, hopefully. 
um, not being empty headed about it um, and just taking anything that comes your way, but testing everything according to the scriptures and gratefully receiving what is good, um, even if the, the person falls a little bit outside the denominational preference. So, um, so thank you for uh, blessing us with your listenership and um, hopefully we have also been a blessing to you uh, throughout the past hour. Uh, God bless you in the week ahead. All right. See you guys. God bless.